Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. So subscribe to our channels and join us live when you can for all of our episodes. We'd love to have you join us either through Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. So you got to go like Cincy Jungle and get notifications of when we're streaming live. Or if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, you can get the notifications as to when our next episodes are as well. John... We've been joined, I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, we have been joined, rec- joined recently by some members of the SB Nation Network to help us preview Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, and Joe Burrow most recently. Uh, before that, you and I gave our takes on a couple of different players, so uh, we are going to continue our 2020 prospect watch. I'm going to go a little bit, uh, you know, low-hanging fruit here, and good stuff, John, Um Appreciate that insight. I'm going to go a little low-hanging fruit, and it's because the Bengals do have the top pick in the NFL draft. And I'm going to go with Andrew Thomas, the the tackle out of Georgia. You don't really want to see the Bengals necessarily use the number one overall pick on Andrew Thomas from Georgia, uh, the consensus top tackle in the draft. But he is a guy that if the Bengals do happen to trade out, maybe they they switch with Miami or someone like that and they move back a handful of spots and he's there after some of those quarterbacks come off the board. That's a guy that, you know, you pair with a Jonah Williams to create bookend tackles for hopefully the next half to full decade. Um, and, and it seems like that's, that's where it could be at. Most people project Andrew Thomas to be a left tackle at the next level. That's probably where he's going to go. You obviously can play right tackle. So, you know, if, the, if a team like the Bengals wanted to do that, and if they are committed fully to Jonah Williams at left tackle, technically you could, you could throw Thomas at right tackle more, more than likely you would go the other way around. You probably throw Jonah at the right tackle spot and, and have Andrew Thomas be at the left side. He's six, he's massive, six, five, three twenty. Um, you know, there's, a, there is a lot to like about this young man. He, uh, you know, he's got some athleticism for his size. Um, he's, he's able to do a lot of positive things in the run game and the pass blocking game. Uh, he's, he's got power. He's got some finesse. There are a lot of things to like about him. And, you know, I, obviously Georgia is a, a talented team. And when you're able to do some things on offense, Likely, you know, Fromm has done some good things at quarterback, but, you know, they do like to run the football, and he's a big reason for that. Um, you know, he's, he's a big guy. He can do a lot of different things. If there are some weaknesses based on some things I've read and some things I've seen on his tape, um, you know, second-level blocking or pulling isn't necessarily his strength. Um, you know, that's not necessarily what you want to do with a regular on a regular basis with him, but he is a guy that, 
you know, can be your franchise tackle, especially if you are, are going to ha- need further protection for a franchise quarterback. He's a guy who can do that. The one thing that I saw on tape that bothered me a little bit, and granted it may, it may be cherry picking a little bit, um, against some of the, the better pass rushers, the kid, uh, the SEC defensive player of the year at Auburn and, and others, um, you know, there were times when edge rushers, he, he almost caught them uh, as he was, as he was going back into his stance and at the college level, because of his size and he's athletic, but because of his size, he's able to kind of do that and get away with that. He's able to kind of be able to let a guy go into him. And then because of his size, he's able to swallow that that pass rusher with with relative ease um, or he kind of dances with him out and maybe there's a little bit of a semblance of pressure that comes of that but I saw him kind of catch defend, uh, edge defenders at times rather than really strong arming them out of the way really engaging with with some strength now that there is a lot of that on his tape but at times against some of the better pass rushers I've seen him kind of let them come to him and he just kind of grabs you know grabs them as they come into them. And that was something to me that, you know, I wasn't overly enamored with, but if it's, if it remains effective at the next level, so be it. I think, you know, as you get to the elite of the elite in terms of edge rushers in the NFL, you know, your Vaughn Millers, these other guys, you know, Khalil Max, if you were to face some of these guys, you know, that they may provide a problem as they do with many offensive tackles. They may provide a problem for a guy like him, uh, if he's going to utilize that kind of catch maneuver, um, you know, and, and some of these, I noticed that some of these guys that gave him a little bit of fits in that way were the, a little bit of the smaller, quicker edge rushers, not the, the other mammoth edge rushers that, you know, he can kind of out muscle. Um, but he does have very long arms, which is what you want out of your offensive tackle. He's got immense size. He's got immense strength. Um, he's got basically everything you want. There are just a couple of nitpicky things that you see on film, but all in all, I mean, you're probably looking at the next great tackle. And that is a big commodity, John, in today's NFL, because there are not a ton of great NFL tackles. Uh, you know, it used to be tackles grew on trees and you'd be able to get bookend tackles and, and settle your line for years and years and years. That's not really the case anymore. Um, so to me, you know, if the Bengals do not go quarterback, this is the guy that they probably, you know, you you talk about chase young, I I would say in terms of overall talent, talented prospects in the draft, chase young is probably the most talented player in the draft. If he does decide to come out, then you've probably got this kid. And then Joe Burrow is probably in terms of overall talent. That's probably what you're looking at, but Burrow being the quarterback is obviously much more, much more valuable. But uh, this kid's this kid's one of the most talented players in the draft, and and it shows. So the hug technique is something that David Bakhtiari really mastered over the past few years, and that's literally just it's literally just ca- catching you know pass rushers off the edge in your stance, and it's something that Cedric Aboye he tried to do, but we saw it didn't work because Aboye he while he had the length. And the you know the, the size to do it, he didn't have the core strength to withstand you know bull rushes and and stunt power in his stance. Thomas, you don't have that worry. And you know Willie Anderson will be the first to tell you that it's not always about first hands, it's about first low hands. So the ability 
to catch guys, but also get also leverage with your hands is most important. I think that's something that stands out with Thomas. While he he may not have that that striking you know hands technique and in pass protection, he has the size to absorb basically. Right, everybody. and it's scary because I don't think he's going to test like Trent Williams because Trent Williams was a freaking alien at the combine. And not right. remember that, but he moves very similar to like. Similarly, similarly like him. And I know he doesn't. He's not the greatest at, at pulling and blocking in space, but that explosion and getting out in space—it's just remarkable for someone who's six five, three twenty-five to have that power to withstand, you know, power in pass protection, but also to move guys so easily off the line and also get out in space so quickly. It, it's rare, and it, it's it's like you said. There, there's a lot of debate with the offensive tackles in this class. I know people are going to like Jedrick Wills out of, out of Alabama, and maybe Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa as as your top guys, it may come down to preference, but Thomas just seems like a guy for a team that needs an offensive tackle. You just don't overthink it. He has everything that everything that you want, and while there could be based off preferences, who's better between the three, he's just a guy that you probably won't be able to go wrong with. Yeah, and pro scheme. I mentioned the the, the Georgia, you know, the Georgia offense of what they like to do. It's a pro scheme, so he's he's pretty ready right now. There might be a little bit of you know some growing pains here and there, but for the most part, like you said, don't overthink it. He's a guy that. Um, should be a, a relatively safe pick and, uh, you know, should should be able to help a team immediately. And like I said, you know, if it's not a sexy pick if you're the Bengals and you if you are the Bengals, you don't want to pick this kid number one overall over, you know, some of these quarterbacks and stuff. But it, it would be sensical if they move back out of that spot. Again, not a popular choice to be made there. But if they were to do that and move back a handful of spots and this kid's there – that's where you go, I think, with Burrow, Young, maybe even Tua off the board. That's where you go to, um, you know, solidify that offensive line. Absolutely. Keep it to our program on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Subscribe to those channels. And keep it to CincyJungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, uh, great work, from my colleague John Sheeran, he's he writes quite a bit on there as well as many others on that website. So keep it there throughout the rest of the upcoming off season. I'm gonna go uh, on the other side of the ball. Maybe a guy that would block a guy like Bond, and that would be Makai Becton of Louisville. He's a guy where there are some mixed opinions, but I think everybody can agree that the ceiling is massive for this kid as massive as his size um he is six seven sometimes upwards of 370 pounds um just a mountain of a human being played left tackle at louisville a lot of Bengals fans and uh maybe fans of in that live in the region um probably know becton pretty well maybe even better than i do but uh <laughs> he's a guy that is massive you know but he moves, he moves pretty well for his size, and um, you know it's it's not very often that that someone maybe projects as a left tackle in the NFL at 370 pounds. That's more maybe the right side, and and really he's probably got to get his weight down regardless. But um, you know we we saw Orlando Brown Jr., a guy of of similar size. He has played. He's was drafted by the Ravens, and he's played pretty well, especially as a rookie. And that, that size ended up translating pretty well. Granted, he's been on the right side, but that's probably where Becton would start for a team. 
looking at, at pro football focus of Becton, they're not as high on him as a lot of people seem to be. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, he should be the guy at 33 for the Cincinnati Bengals if he's there. Some people believe he won't be there because he may go at the top of the first just because of his immense size, the immense ability. Um, PFF has him as the 67th ranked player in the class and, and the fifth ranked tackle um, as of their rankings shortly after the senior bowl. So they are not as high on him in, in terms of, uh, you know, what they've seen. Now, this is a classic. Have the metrics not caught up to the potential type of thing, right? I mean, like it, it is, is, has he just begun to kind of scratch the surface and, and, and this is, why this is the exact type of player at the exact type of position that you want to take a chance on at the top of the second, because all the tools are there, the size are there, but maybe not everything's showing up on film quite yet. To me, that's kind of what you use day two, four. You, you find a guy that has first round type of traits, but maybe some things on film aren't showing you as much. And, and that's where I think Becton falls. I think also, if you look at, I think he would, for the Bengals, probably be better suited to start on the right side. Then you have Jonah Williams on the left. He's kind of a little bit of a road grader. Uh, he's a guy that, that you know, will work in the run game and actually has immense strength. If you look at some of the film clips of him, he is throwing guys across the field. He is pancaking guys. It's just the consistency factor. It's the you know, some of the issues you see on film, but athletic for his size, absolutely a mountain of a guy. And to me, if you are the Bengals and you're Zach Taylor and you still want to preach running the football like you did last, like you did last off season, you didn't get to it until late in the season. But if you want to preach running the football and you want to protect your asset in Joe Burrow, I think this is a guy you look at at the top of round two. Maybe if you're able to move back a few slots, pick up another pick, and he's still there, you, you make that move there. But, um, you know, very intriguing guy to me, John, especially with the size. I think he's got right tackle written all over all over him, at least for the first part of his career. Like, the, there's a reason why Daniel Jeremiah mocked him, like, fourth overall. Like, when I was down the senior bowl, we were, we were kind of talking about it because he's, he's projecting the NFL to fall in love with, with exactly the reason why you said And I don't like to boost Joe Gooberry's ego because his ego is already very high at, as it is. But he he's he, well, he did say that this week that he does have a lot of Willie Anderson in him. And you can obviously yeah, see I saw that. that. Like, you know, six, seven, almost 370 pounds, but he moves like a guy who's 70 pounds less than that. Like, you, you, you cannot teach that. It's... It's more. It's so much more than what we saw from Orlando Brown coming out of Oklahoma. Right. And it, like from all of that, the upside is immense. But you know, there's a lot of context that you know PFF goes into offensive line play that not a lot of, a lot of other, that not a lot of other people do, and it's why their that their evaluation in terms of offensive line is a lot different. It's why they there's a lot of discourse you know surrounding that. Their reasoning behind it is because you know, I remember scouting a, a Jerron or Garyon Christian the Louisville tackle from, I think, a year or two ago. And I remember watching some of his tape, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, he's playing both left and right tackle in the same game. He's switching sides in the yeah. middle of the game, depending on what they're doing. And that's exactly what they did with Beckton in his freshman sophomore year. So there was a lot of changing around with him, and it definitely didn't help his development, and especially because he's still a raw player. And, you know, in that Louisville offense, I, I'm just paraphrasing what PFF is writing about him, but 
they were really heavy in terms of run and obviously play action. So not a lot of true pass protecting sets to watch for him on tape. I think they only counted a 73 true, you know, type of vertical or, or 45 degree sets that, you know, obviously you're, you're doing multiple, you know, dozens of times in the NFL per game. So there was not R- a lot of RPO, RPO stuff. And right, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not gimmicky, but it's not, it's not what you want from an evaluation standpoint. There's not a lot to truly evaluate what he can do. You know, when, when you're asked to do more consistent and stable things in the NFL and on those 73 true pass sets, he was charged with eight pressures. So there's still a lot to work on with Becton. There's still a lot to hope for. But again, like it, it's almost like it, it's like the Greg Robinson effect because, the, you know, Greg Robinson back in 2014, you know, if if, if, if Jadavion Clowney wasn't in that class, just his Greg Robinson's highlight tape as an offensive tackle, it was so much fun. And it's it's what you experience with Becton, just getting out into space, pulling and just leveling guys in the second level the guys who are that big are not supposed to move that fast and there's going to be an offensive line coach there's going to be a head coach there's going to be a general manager who just ends up falling in love with him who may not need a starting tackle immediately but just love what Beckton can be rather than what he is right now and that's why pff is so low on him because the actual production of him in terms of what translates into the nfl it's not as good as the as the tristan Wirfs or the or the, or the jedrick wells or the andrew thomases of this class so that's why they're a little bit low on him but I don't think that's. But I don't think that's going to be enough to keep him out of the or to have him escape the first round. If if he is available in the top of the second round, I have to imagine Jim Turner is going to be infatuated with him, especially since they're not expecting uh, another rookie tackle to start for them this year. But again, there's a lot to like and there's a lot to be cautious about with Beckton, and that's why that he's so polarizing as a prospect. But Ultimately, I think there's going to be one team that ends up falling in love with him in the first round. He's going to be a first round pick. Yeah, or or someone probably you know maybe they don't have a first round pick, or maybe they they move back into the first round and and get him towards the end part. We'll see, but um, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of a boomer bust here, and like you said, there's not a lot on tape of those big seven five seven step drops where he's got to hold on. You know, he's got to hold and sustain a block for a couple of seconds it's more rpo stuff it's run blocking and he is if you watch the run blocking i mean he's throwing it's guys fun around. it's fun he as is hell. throwing guys around it's it's incredible but you know i i think there are some things that if you're the Bengals and you are going to draft a drop back passer like joe burrow um, granted Burrow can do the RPO stuff and he, they can run the, 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 you know, the quick passing, get the ball out quick type of stuff with him. But, you know, there are, there is going to be times with Burrow where the Bengals are going to say, we're going to, we're going to do a deep drop and we're going to throw the ball. And if you have Becton there, he better learn that skill, um, and, and, or improve upon it from what this, some of the statistics you put out there, John, but fun player to watch really physical, and there is no doubt that he could help the Bengals in the run game. It's more, you know, what what is he going to give you in a, in a pass protection standpoint? This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. As I mentioned earlier, you can get this show on a number of different platforms. Download it from your favorite audio podcast platform. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to your to our audio channel as well so you get notified when we're going live. You get notified when new shows on the channel, on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, are coming on to the slate. So you can download them right away, listen to them. By the way, we haven't really set too much yet in terms of what we're going to be doing for the draft, but we will have a ton of podcast content when it comes to that. 
when we lay everything out, that'll probably be laid out over the next week or so. We will definitely let you know. Mock drafts leading up to the to the big event, breaking down every pick, breaking down every day, that sort of thing. That'll be not only part of this podcast programming, but also that of Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, Orange is the New Black from Ace Boogie and Zim Day, and maybe even a little bit more from, sorry if I spit when I speak, the, the boys, Daddy O'MacDuke and... Dr. Hoji Smoji. John, let's continue. We're, we're running out of weeks to do the prospect yeah. watch. Uh, we're getting so close to the draft here, but let's continue the 2020 prospect watch list. I've got my guy. I teased him earlier. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Sure. Point, flip it. Okay. Sure. Um, it seems like a lot of the years we have a decent idea about players that the Bengals are targeting. And then there's always one pick that kind of goes in line with that thinking, but it's just a different player. So right now there's a lot of talk about Lloyd Cushenberry, Damian Lewis, mm-hmm. offensive linemen that Joe Burrow has experience with, guys who could fill starting spots early. But a guy who's intriguing me right now is Sadiq Charles. And he was the third you know, draft-eligible lineman for LSU that's going to get drafted somewhat early. And I think he fits more of what the Bengals are looking for in an offensive lineman. For starters, I don't think he's going to be a top 100 pick. And I don't think that the Bengals are going to be in. I think they're going to be interested in other positions other than the offensive line. I think, like Ben said, it, unless someone drops out of round one and they just can't resist taking this guy in, in the second round, then I don't think that offense line is, is too much of a priority for them. I think they want somebody who they can develop later on, but at the same time, can give them somebody who can compete with Suofilo at right guard, but can also have the versatility to compete down the line at right tackle. They they value versatility extremely, but they also value some other things. And I, I look back to Mike Jordan from last year, another fourth-round pick, a guy who was a three-year starter from his freshman year at Ohio State, one of the first guys to, to start, or one of the first guys at the offensive line in a long time to start his true freshman year. He came into the league at 21 years old, very athletic. All of those boxes I just mentioned, Sadiq Charles checks him off as well. He was a three-year start at LSU. He's not even 21 years old yet, and he started over 20 games at left tackle, most of them with Joe Burrow there, but he also has experience at other positions. I think he started one game at right guard, one game at right tackle. So not a lot of experience at other positions, but he has the ability to play other positions, and I think they have comfortability to play him at other positions. So he has the ability to play inside-outside. 6'4", 320 pounds, ran a 5.05.40. I think he fits the size thresholds that they look for. I think he fits the athleticism that they want in guys who are playing guard, guys who have explosion and speed who can get out in space. The one main knock on him is obviously he's not talented enough to be like a top 50 pick or anything, but he could slide into late day two if there wasn't these potential character issues. He was suspended for six games in the in last season for the 2019 season. He missed a good chunk of that of that season. He he had multiple failed drug tests, I believe, as well. I think Dame Brugler said, a scout told him, like, I want to trust him, but unfortunately I just can't. And you have to wonder if that is a palpable thing that's been trickling all throughout the NFL and if it's really going to affect where he ends up getting drafted. I think it'll depend entirely on how much the Bengals trust him as just a person, and that is going to, you know, these these meetings that they're they're having right now, these FaceTime meetings, you can't learn, obviously, as much from these players you know talking to them on, on a computer screen when you, whereas normally you get the chance to you know be with them in person and get a feel for them i would imagine they probably had some time to combine to talk to him as well but i just think that in terms of what they're looking for on, on field only 
what they're looking for from an offense lineman this year, the boxes that they usually look to get checked off in terms of age, size, versatility. I think Charles fits a lot of those. And I think obviously the familiarity with yeah. Joe Burrow at quarterback, I think that's going to help him as well. So if they wait until round four, I think Charles is the guy that you absolutely have to look at as a potential pick for them. So I'm interested, I'm interested in the, you know, you mentioned the off field issue stuff. That would be interesting to see if the Bengals spring for a guy like this, because last off season, Zach Taylor espoused quite a bit of rhetoric on character. We don't want guys that, you know, are going to put it, put us in a bad position in terms of PR or missing games on field performance. Mark Walton, example one. I mean, we talked a long time ago about what Zach Taylor had to endure as a first-time head coach and everything that came his way, especially in the first few months of his tenure. Mark Walton gets arrested, what, three times in three months or something like that? So, yeah. uh, you know, he had to cut bait there and kind of made a statement. There were some other guys, Vontez Perfect, granted not the arrest stuff side, but on-field stuff, suspension stuff cut bait there. So, you know, there, there are some, there are some things there that make me wonder if Charles, if, you know, if they say, okay, well, day three, we like the talent. We like the versatility. We like the size. We, we like all of these things, P potential, as you can see here, what we're sharing on NFL.com. They think he, you know, there's potential there to become a starter. You know, they like all of these things and they're, they like that enough to overlook the suspension stuff, John. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if you have extra opinions on that, but that, that to me would be an interesting scenario for them. Right. It, it like everything that they talk about, just building a culture, you know, a guy on paper who has these, this rap or this rap sheet, if you will. And these types of issues that he's had in his past, it's entirely up to how they view they can handle the situation. Um, because, you know, Zach Taylor talked about a lot of this stuff in his opening press conference. Then he goes out and hire, you know, Jim Turner, his old friend who had right, right. a lot of issues in the past as well. So, you know, a lot of that talk can obviously applies. And I think there's a lot of truth to it, but it comes down to how they feel they can manage it on a person to person basis. Obviously he's a, he's a young guy. He's not even 21 years old yet. I think they would also take input from Burrow to, to see his yeah. opinion on him as well as how he interacts with in the locker room. And clearly, like, if they don't go after him, I'm not going to be upset because there is a definite risk that a guy like that may not be able to fulfill his potential because he just doesn't work hard enough or he just puts himself in bad positions and bad situations to not fulfill that potential. And that's why he's likely going to be off some draft boards as well. Um, it Again, it just comes down to how they feel comfortable in, in the conversations that they've had with him, what they hear about from Burrow, because, I, I, again, I, I think from an on-field perspective, he's – basically what exactly what they're looking for in terms of a guy who can fill in at right guard maybe early and then move out to tackle because he has that experience. But again, if they don't go after him because he has too many issues, 100% fine with that. Yeah, the other, the other aspect to it, John, to a player like that in a draft like this this year is the lack of face-to-face -face time, right? right? I mean, I, I feel like a guy like that, it is critical for a team to get in front of that guy, talk to him, have the you know, look me in the eye type of cliches and, you know, talk to them, get a feel for them. Whereas you can't really do that at this point right now. And, you know, it, I, if he has matured and moved beyond some of this stuff that has plagued him in the past, 
you'd hate to see a weird situation that we're currently living in <laughs> drastically affect his professional life if he, you know, if he's moved on from that. So that's that's another element to throw into that. I'm glad you went offensive line though because I did as well. And John, before I transition into my guy, Ben brought up something, and it was something I was thinking about today because I was looking at the the young man I'm going to present in just a second for the prospect watch list. But you know, Ben Ben brought up the the situation of Preston Brown and how that may have been one of the quote unquote best moves by the team getting rid of that contract and, you know, a player that just was not performing well for this team. You know, I I almost look at, you know, clearing space. They got rid of Drake Kirkpatrick. We didn't think that was going to happen. Preston Brown, they're going to move on from Andy Dalton even though they said they liked the state of their offensive line, if they get a, an opportunity at a guy, whether it's Sadiq Charles or Josh Jones, the, the young man I'm going to talk about, is there, is there a situation where they say, hey, we like this kid, we're going to get, get out of that Bobby Hart contract? I think that's entirely possible because they designed that contract to be, you know, to allow themselves to get out of it early if they want to. I think – what hard show last year is that it depends entirely upon who he's facing. Like you'll have good weeks when they just don't have, when the opposing team doesn't have anybody who can threaten the edge, but when he's going up against, you know, above average talent, he's a liability. And I think that's why they're so they're talking about Fred Johnson so much because they're going to give him every chance to pee out Bobby Hart. But at the end of the day, if Fred Johnson is your backup swing tackle, that's probably something you're more comfortable with. So if right. they have the opportunity to get somebody that they know, can beat Bobby Hart from day one and can be a starting tackle for the next few years on a rookie contract, I think that's absolutely something that they entertain. It's just a matter of if they're going to find a guy that they have graded that high because, you know, if not, they're going to be interested in other positions as well. Right, and it's another one of those things that we say, look, it's we've said for a long time they're not going to move on. It's just not the Bengals' way to do that, but they've got themselves out of some bad contracts in the past you know, six months or so to really clear up space and make impactful moves. Um, whether it's Preston Brown, Drake or Patrick, they're going to move on from Andy Dalton, it seems. And, you know, maybe Bobby Hart is the next guy. Who knows? But the gentleman I'm going to talk about, I teased it earlier with our interview, is Josh Jones, the offensive tackle from the University of Houston. Now, a lot of people have him as talent-wise a top half of the first round type, a top 16 type of guy, top 15 player in this year's draft, and a lot to like here. But in terms of the Bengals, he, in in a lot of mock drafts, again, how reliable can those be? You know, you shrug your shoulders sometimes at those, but in a lot of mock drafts, he's available at the top of the second round. He's been mocked to the Bengals quite frequently at, at the top of the second round. So he could be a guy at number 33 they look at, or if they make the rare move to maybe move back into the first, the end of the first round, and he's still lingering out there. He, this could be a guy for them. He's also He also could be a victim of a deep tackle class. It's a very top-heavy tackle class, no pun intended, uh, in terms of talent with this group. There are a lot of guys, two Georgia kids that are very good. Um, you got Tristan Wirfs. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Mackay Beckton, uh, you know, we've previewed many of them. Austin Jackson, another guy we've put on our, our prospect watch list. So these, there is a lot of guys, and it's kind of the, um, you know, take your pick. I mean, there's there are, there are a lot of guys that are potential first or, or high-end second-round talents 
and this kid could fall to the Bengals at the top of the second. That's why I think he I previewed him as a viable guy. Now, some notes with him. You see great size, 6'5", six, six, about, uh, what, what did we say there, three, yeah, about 320. Um, so very big guy, very athletic guy. I did some research on him, looked at some film. This kid, and, and thanks to our good friend Austin Gale at Pro Football Focus, who came on the program a, a little while back, he and Mike Renner uh, had a nice breakdown of him. They noted that he had a, I believe it was a 93.2 overall grade as, as an mm -hmm. offensive lineman this last year, the highest of a non-Power 5 player, I think, ever. Um, and not, I, I, I don't think just tackle. I think non-Power 5 player ever. Uh, if I, if I, and I don't mean to misquote them, but I, I thought that's what they said. Um, he is also, per their reports, he has also risen every year in terms of overall grade, overall grade, overall grade. He's steadily improved. Um, there is the aspect of the 89.2 pass blocking grade. So uh, everything tells you, uh, 89.2 this last year, everything tells you, High-end talent, very technically sound, wins a lot of battles in the trenches. He was a left tackle, and though he was a non-Power 5, on a non-Power 5 team, they play a lot of top teams. I mean, they play Oklahoma. They, they play a lot of big-name schools, so he's not going up against, you know, small school after small school. He's, he's going up against legit talent. So a lot to like here, very athletic I think some knocks on him that I heard, you know, some people question his strength. I don't really see it as too much of an issue. I mean, he's not an absolute mauler like a Makai Becton, but um, he's, he's athletic and he's got good length. Um, you know, some, some concerns are in the, some of the offensive formations that Houston used, you know, and if you're going to use him as a true left tackle day one, you know, you may have to retrain him on some things. So, you know, that's a concern. Where, where I think is a totally invalid concern. Some people are talking about his age as compared to some of these other guys. He's older. Um, to me, as, you, as you've seen, as you mentioned, or as I mentioned earlier, that as you've seen the progression every year in terms of overall PFF score from year to year, an increase, an increase, an increase. I just think that his, his age actually works in his advantage where that he may be ready more ready now than some of these other guys. Um, and, and some of the, some of the scores show that the situation for the Bengals, if they were to sit to select him, it presents an interesting situation, John, because, you know, does, does Josh Jones, it, does he become your left tackle and you move Jonah Williams over there to right side? Do you start Jonah left tackle? And because you think you may have to retrain some of these nuances of the position to Josh Jones. Maybe you put him on the right side and have Jonah Williams stay on the left side for the, at least 2020. Then maybe you make a later swap. I don't know, but I think that these, those two guys, especially if Jonah Williams pans out, like we hope, I think that those two guys could be very, very high end bookend tackles for this team. When I was talking with, you know, when I was talking about it, if there's a guy who falls out of round one that can intrigue him, Josh Jones is the first guy that comes to my, to my mind. I know a lot of people like Austin Jackson. I think there's more questions with him than a guy like Jones because, like you said, coming from Houston, no, that's where William Jackson's from. So they had experience drafting this school high as well. Um, but coming from Houston, you know, non-power five school, I think you got to compare 
to actually to not only just the competition, but the type of offense that he was in. I believe PFF recently tweeted out um, in true pass sets, he took 114 of those at Houston last year. He had an 82 overall pass blocking grade, and that rivals right up with Andrew Thomas, who had an 83 and a half grade. Tristan Wirtz had an 84 grade. He took more true pass sets last year, actually, than Jedrick Wills, the guy from Alabama. So that mm-hmm. that should tell you a lot about. You know who really is running a pro style offense nowadays because Alabama is not exactly the, the type of offense that you once thought of about ten years ago. So I think those questions I, I think are mostly solved in terms of competition down down at the Senior Bowl. That was the big question. Like he dominated in the latter part of 2019, but it was against Houston. And you would like to see him against the, the, the how did he do against the top seniors, pass rushers, defensive linemen? He dominated the Senior Bowl. He didn't and he didn't just do it at left tackle either. He was at right tackle. He was even at right guard. So those three positions, that's what the Bengals are looking for. They're looking for depth at left tackle, and they're looking for guys who can compete at either right guard or right tackle spot. Size, speed, athleticism, you know, how he did against good competition at an event that they had their entire coaching staff with. I, I think this guy is a perfect fit if he falls to that, to that spot, and it's going to be a matter of, okay, who else goes? Because right now Daniel Jeremiah of NFL.com is saying that you know, Isaiah Williams, or excuse me, Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia. He's like a surefire first round pick. He could even go before Andrew Thomas, but you know, Thomas, Worf, Beckton, Wills, they're all going to go top 15. You, you throw Wilson in there, you throw in Jackson in there. That's six offensive tackles. Normally you don't see, you know, seven get drafted in one round. So if that's the scenario, there could be a chance where Jones is just the odd man out and he ends up being one of those guys that just inexplicably drops out of the first round. And if that's the case, then the Bengals draft plans potentially go out the window and they just go after the best player available and Jones who ends up filling multiple spots. He can compete early at right guard and then he can down the line compete at right tackle because he has the capabilities to do either. It drives me nuts, John, when people say, no way that guy's going to be there. No way that guy's going to be there. It's like my biggest pet peeve come draft time because every year there, there are people that fall. And to your point, you mentioned five or six offensive tackles there a couple of which are kind of in that same tier with him, right? The Austin Jacksons, et cetera. You've got three or four quarterbacks that are probably going to be drafted in the first round. Then you've got a deep wide receiver class, many of which will probably a, a good chunk of them. You know, Mims is in the first round conversation. You got Lamb, you got Judy, you got Ruggs. I mean, you've got a handful of wide receivers that are probably going to be taken in the first round a couple of defensive back, all of a sudden you're filling out the first round and a guy that's where a guy like this can, there's inevitably guys that we think are second or third round talents that a team really likes maybe in the twenties and they'll pounce on them. Seattle's been known to do that. And we all consider it a reach, but they, they are have been known to take a guy in the first where you go, Oh, really? Um, (laughs) So this happens all the time. And I mentioned last year, the Ed Oliver thing, Nobody really thought he would get to 11. Even I was reaching with that, but he made it to nine. I mean, I, I, we thought that's a top five guy in the in the class, and he just kept dropping a little bit, and, and you wondered why. Teams get a little wacky in, in this, and, and we've mentioned it a couple times, this whole virtual draft situation. Who kind of knows what kind of wrenches that'll throw into the whole process? So I think he's a viable prospect. Truth be told, I – didn't know a ton about I knew a little bit about him going into this process. I, I know a bit more, largely thanks to the guys at, at PFF. I, I um, recommend you watch one of their videos on him. I thought I, that was very informative. I watched some other highlight clips of him against Oklahoma that I found impressive and, and other 
things I read and, and watched on him. But um, I came away very impressed with this kid, John. I, I, yeah. I came away thinking that this guy, you know, there's not a lot of wrong answers the Bengals could could supply us at number 33. But if this guy is available, you know, he, he's got to be on the very, very, very short list of options. Absolutely. And we'll, have, and we'll have that list. They will have that list prepared. And I think it's also a testament because I think a lot of people are, are wondering if they are thinking about trading back into the first round. And I don't think that Jones is the guy that you would mortgage, you know, a third or fourth yeah. round pick or multiple picks to go back into the first. I think you, you're better off waiting to see who else falls. I think they just have more leverage staying at 33 and trading back because that becomes a valuable spot. For this exact scenario, there could be another team that really wants a guy like Josh Jones who fell out of the first round because there just happens to be guys who just somehow end up there and guys who thought were going to be in the first round end up in the second round. I think it's more valuable to stay put and not really trade up for any position that's not a quarterback, in my opinion. And because they only have seven picks to start with, I think their only intention is to move back and get more to fill out the rest of the roster. So if Jones is there at 33, you're right. He's definitely one of those players that I'm sure Dave Labham is going to mention right before the draft as a guy to watch for. Um, but yeah, he just seems to be inexplic- inexplicably not in the first round lock conversation where guys like Isaiah Wilson are now in that conversation. And again, if, if it's a deep offensive tackle class, people can be you know subjective about how they really handle that in the first round. So if he's available, definitely watch out for him. Yeah, I like that kid, and I, I do. I am a fan of the Bengals staying put at thirty-three and kind of seeing what. I, normally, I like to see that. I would like to have seen them move up potentially for an impact player, but I think, like you said, at thirty-three, that's a unique position to be in, and you can see a number of good players fall to them. I remember back in 03, top pick in the second round, they got Eric Steinbach. He was a pretty damn good player. So, yeah. uh, you know, and and he was deep. They were kind of going, "How did this guy fall to us?" Right. So, I mean, this. It happens. It happens. So um, I, I think that this this kid could be in the short conversation if he's available at number thirty three. That are, that is our two new additions, two latest additions to the twenty twenty prospect watch list. Two offensive linemen, Sadiq Charles from LSU and Josh Jones of Houston. So two very talented guys in their own right, and maybe guys that the Bengals will call upon in a couple of weeks. And this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, as I've mentioned before. Get our show on any number of platforms. Leave us a rating. Subscribe to our channels. And check out the other podcasts, not only on the Orange and Black Insider, whether it's Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk or Orange is the New Black uh, on the the Cincy Jungle podcast channel. Check that podcast out, too. A lot of cool stuff going on there. And, uh, you know, we're excited about the, the... diverse group of grouping of shows that we're bringing you guys. So hopefully you enjoy them as well. John, let's finish it up with our 2020 prospect watch list. We've done a number of different players. I've kind of focused, I guess uh, if, if you, if you watch my list, it's, it's uh pac 12 heavy. Uh, yeah. because I watch a lot of pac 12 football. Um, and Hey, you know, I, I kind of hope that maybe a lot of people who don't listen or a lot of people who listen to this show do not watch Pac-12 football because oftentimes their games are on late. So, uh, you know, and, and I just notice a lot of players while watching those games. So I guess that's kind of what I bring to the table here, but you have also been, you, you've been quite a bit more diverse in terms of where you've grabbed players and spotlighted them, but really what we've tried to do in case you haven't heard this before, not only are we, 
looking at players that we specifically like uh, and, and intrigue us, but we look at the Bengals' needs, we look at their trends and who they like to potentially draft, where they usually like to draft these guys, and where they may draft some of these guys in this coming class. So um, that's kind of where we built this list and compiled some of these lists of players. We've, gosh, I, I think we've at least gone through maybe six to eight players each now, John. We've, we've got a lot mm-hmm. each there. So uh, you have, I, I think we're going offensive line this week. So you have a specific interior offensive lineman that you wanted to spotlight this week. Yes, I was going to look at Solomon, kin- I think it's Kinley. Solomon okay. Kinley or Kindly, the left guard from the University of Georgia. Um, I, I heard about him um, from my good friend Ryan Patrick, who is my guy in terms of identifying offensive linemen before I really get into the draft process. And he was really high on him, so I decided to give him a look. And he, he like me, has a little bit of a Georgia bias and – you know they they tend to they tend to produce good guys up front. So when watching him, the first thing you notice is he's pretty he's pretty big. He's like 6'4", 330 pounds, but he doesn't really move that way. And you know when when I was down the Senior Bowl, the, the thing I, I looked for in guards is how they moved laterally in terms of those zone concepts that Jim Turner was trying to employ in the practices. And you can get a clear sense about which guys are more comfortable getting downhill or 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 can also you know get into their drive step and get laterally and, and reach the guy's face. For, for being 330, 340 pounds, Kinley moves very well out of his stance. I think there's a lot of natural explosion there. There's not a lot of wasted movement in his steps. They, they do a lot of different things in that Georgia offense. There's a lot of power concepts, but there is a lot of, there, there's a handful of, of you know, there's a decent amount of zone in there as well. And I think he's pretty diverse and versatile in terms of his movement skills. Um, being 330 pounds, it should go without question. This anchor is very solid. You know, once he gets his hands on you, you know, it, there's not a lot of moving him backwards. So pass protection is very clean. The thing about his hands is that he has really quick hands, but they can get a little bit too high. And it, it's not it's not really a, a matter of leverage, it's just a matter of placement. Like you you would ideally want high or low and tight inside hands in terms of getting right into the sternum. With him, it's more of you know the, the quickness is fine. He gets his hands on you really quickly, but it almost gets too high, almost up around like the neck area. And when he gets that high, he, he ends up almost having like chicken wings for for in, in his punches. And his hands and his elbows and his arms get a little bit wide. And you know, dealing with college pass rushers and t- defensive ends, they don't really have a lot of counter moves to kind of disengage. But when you're facing the more adapt pass rushers with, who have plans to disengage from you, you know, ha- having you know your elbows and your arms not you know tight inside, it can get you into trouble because guys can swipe away those hands if you don't have it in the correct spot. So that's something that he really has to work on in pass protection. And really in run blocking in general, you like to see better hand placement getting to his landmarks quicker because the athleticism, again, for his size is very good, but it's really just about the hand placement getting into those landmarks to really you know drive guys out or to reach guys and, and, and get them out of their spots in terms of zone. But you know th- that's that's really the biggest question mark I have for him because everything else he moves very well. Obviously, you know, the, the quickness in the whole process, the beginning of his pass protection sets is very solid. When he strikes well, you know, and when he gets his hands on you in a good place, you know, there's really nothing you can do about it. And lastly, you know, you know, this is something that Ryan made sure I mentioned. He's a finisher and he'll 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 drive guys to the ground on multiple on multiple occasions during the game. He's very active in pass protection, either passing guys off or picking up free rushers in, ter- in terms of zone bliss. So I think he's very cerebral in, in terms of working with his center and left tackle. He played next to Andrew Thomas, who's supposed to be a first round pick. So he has chemistry, you know, working with guys of, of that caliber as well. I just think, you know, looking at when they drafted Andy Dalton, they took a they took a guard out of Georgia in the fourth round in Clint Bowling, who had positional versatility. Unfortunately, Kinley doesn't have that. I think he's been primarily a left guard throughout his career. 
But if they want to add a guard in between, you know, rounds three or five, or maybe no, probably five is, I guess you would say his floor in that general range, a guy with a lot of experience, a lot of experience going up against tough competition. And a lot of the traits that you want offense linemen to have getting into the league. I think Kinley has that in spades along with plenty of size and more athleticism for a guy that you would expect with that size. So I think he's one of the more underrated offense lineman prospects who is kind of getting outshined by some of these rising names at the guard position. But I think he's more of the more stable prospects that you could expect and you can get him for decent value as well. So where do you see, you see him at uh, probably a day three, high day three pick? Uh, yeah, I think, I think fourth round is about where you would, ex- where you expect him to go. I, I think, Depending on how he tests, he can maybe sneak into the third. It's very hard to project guys like that who aren't these these household names because you know guys get overdrafted you know every single year and just there's surprises with that. And the fact that he comes from you know a program like Georgia who's produced a lot of good offensive linemen, the fact that he has a lot of experience to him, and I think how how he tests at the combine is going to really determine what his draft process is because character wise, he's extremely clean. He's very very much like Trey Hopkins where, you know, it's, it's just a very, you know, quiet guy. He doesn't really go out that much. doesn't like to party. just wants to, you know, practice on focus on football. Um, but also I think it also come down to how people feel about his weight. Like in high school, he was apparently a 370 pound lifeguard who actually saved the life of a, a life of a swimmer when he was on duty. And now wow. he's down to 340, 330 pounds. I think going down to 320 pounds can help him a lot too. So you see that, that he used to be a lot more than, the, than he was and, it, it didn't affect negatively his strength, his play strength, but it did uh, increase his overall athleticism. So I think even cutting a little bit more weight could do wonders for him and potentially open up doors, you know, playing on both on both sides of the center and being, you know, a- adept in both zone and man schemes. So I think getting him down a little bit more in terms of weight can, can do a lot of wonders for him and, and how teams see that he can do that will affect his draft stock, I think. So, you know, Will Will Smith, uh, not the rapper and actor, uh, <laughs> in our live YouTube chat talked about how, you know, the Georgia line must have been amazing. I mean, the two tackles are going to be drafted probably within the first uh, four rounds, I would think. And then you're mentioning here the interior offensive linemen. Uh, a lot of good players on that Georgia offensive line. We do know that, that the Bengals like Georgia guys. They like them. There are, uh, they have drafted quite a few players from Georgia. Uh, and uh, Granted, that was Marvin Lewis era, but uh, they have traditionally liked that. And they like the SEC. They like the competition and the, and the talent level that's in the SEC. So do not be surprised if uh, a Georgia player and one of these offensive linemen end up in Cincinnati. I'm going to go with another offensive lineman, this time on the outside and it is Austin Jackson of USC. I saw a lot of this kid because I watched quite a bit of USC football. And, you know, I, I kind of look at other draft profiles. I kind of created my own on this kid, particularly in the final couple of games of the season. But I, I really liked on the draft uh, the draft network, Ben Solak. Uh, three words to begin the pros of this kid. Looks the part. And that's exact that. I mean, that just sums it up so eloquently. He's big. He's athletic. He's he's not. If you look at a tackle and you kind of see, he's not an Andre Smith build, right? Mm. I mean, he is long and lean and strong, and he is an athletic, well built, well put together kid at six six and about three ten, three fifteen, depending on his playing weight. But um, really ideal size. Very good athleticism. And it's upside, upside, upside with this kid. It, it, and it's, it's, he's a junior, 
Um, so there are, are some potential development issues and you need to kind of be patient with this kid. But there is a lot to like about this kid. And I could see him being a target that goes in the top of the second round. Maybe even if pre-draft workouts go well, the combine goes well, he could sneak himself into the first round if if folks get enamored with his athleticism, with his build, and see that they could develop him in uh, you know at the next level. I, I think you could play him at either spot either tackle spot. I think ideally for the Bengals, you may want him to be your left tackle and you may want Jonah with the shorter arms go over to right. Um, that may not be the immediate plan. Maybe you stick with Jonah on the left. And as, as this kid develops, maybe he's your right tackle, but this, he, he could be a guy that is a plug and play guy. He'll, he might take a few lumps along the way. It may be a little rough going in the first part of his career because he is young, because he needs development. But I like a lot of what I see on out of this kid. There's one thing that worries me about this kid, and it was in the bowl game against Iowa. He got absolutely dominated by A.J. Epinesa, the, the first-round edge defender by Iowa. Uh, I, I think he had a, a sack and a half or two sacks, and, and Jackson was, was – uh, the guy that was blocking him, he got by him, caught him off balance, just really got it, just made him look kind of silly on a couple of occasions in that game. And what worries me is that that's the caliber of player he's often going to be facing in the pros. And right. I, I saw that same thing in Jonah Williams in the national championship game against the Clemson defensive line, where those guys all went basically in the first two rounds. Um, uh, so I think it was Cleland Farrell, maybe that, that was, uh, that got past Williams in the national championship game a couple of years ago. That worried me a little bit with Jonah that this worries me a little bit with Austin Jackson, Jackson as a first round projected player, edge defender really kind of had him on skates in their most important, one of their most important games of the year, their bowl game, uh, and, and really his most important showing of the year, the bowl game where a lot of the eyes were watching, um, I really thought that that game was going to be a little bit closer between those two teams because of where they were ranked and how they were playing. And, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, Iowa's defense made a lot of plays, including Epinesa against uh, against the Trojans and, and Jackson there. But I think this kid is a uh, – I, I see a lot of Anthony Collins in this kid, but but much higher ceiling. I see the athleticism. I see the versatility. I, I see a guy who's not a fringe starter like Anthony Collins, but I see I see a lot of similar traits where you go, if he was sitting, you're, you're saying to yourself, why isn't this guy playing somewhere along the offensive line? He's too good to be on the bench. Um, and I think that he he has a very, very high ceiling. Um, the, the floor could be a little low. Uh, you know, I think you just have to, you have to be patient with him. You have to know he's a little bit developmental and that's what you're getting with a, a highly talented player. If you're going with him in the second round, maybe even if he slides to the third, I don't see that happening. But if he's, if he's in the second round, there's a reason for that. It's talent, but there are some concerns. I like him. I don't absolutely love him, but that's a guy that should be in the conversation if the Bengals are looking at a tackle at number 33. That was my biggest concern with him as well. And I think Matt Miller of Bleacher Report had some comments on that where, like, you know, he, he's intriguing, but 
he, he basically failed the biggest test of his career. And that's the one thing that you look at offensive tackles who don't go up against, you know, high quality pass rushers that often, you know, I'll be, you know, Southern Cal is a good program, but they're not what they once were. And, you know, you know, their, their quality in terms of strength of schedule, in terms of the quality of talent that they play against, you know, their offensive lines, it, it kind of dwindles here and there. So, you know, he obviously failed that test against um, the, the Iowa edge rusher. And that was a big red flag for me. And it's almost like, you know, you're dealing with an offensive tackle who has all the, who has all these physical traits, and but if, if he doesn't have the you know the technical stuff there, you know obviously he's not a first round prospect in that regard. And it's almost like how much do, are you willing to invest in terms of time and in terms of you know refinement in terms of getting him to where he needs to be in order to warrant you know a, a draft pick that high. And it's it's going to be a question of whether or not the Bengals want to draft an offensive tackle that high, depending on how they feel about you know the right tackle situation with Fred Johnson potentially competing with Bobby Hart. And whether or not you want to move Jonah Williams to the right side, I think that when you have a, when you're dealing with a player like Jackson who has just as many question marks as he does, you know, positive traits in terms of what he could be, it's almost like, yeah, it, it, it's 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 like you would want to draft him, you know, if, if he falls, not really take him before anyone else does. It's almost like you want someone else to really take that risk. But it really comes down to if the coaching staff is committed to ironing out, you know, his you know deficiencies, unlike what they were able to do with Cedric Wahey and Jake Fisher, and obviously that was four or five years ago in a different regime. So it will depend on, you know, how Jim Turner feels about him, how Zach Taylor feels about him, if they're willing to invest in those positive traits to get out all the bad stuff right now. Because like you said, he's very young. He's a junior and he's got a lot of room to grow. And it really is about what their commitment is to getting him to where he needs to be. Because I don't know if I trust him starting over even a guy like Bobby Hart with with where he is right now. But I I think he's the type of player that the Bengals would be interested in, in investing in. It just wouldn't be, I guess, that early in the draft. Yeah, uh, it would it would need to be you know maybe he falls to the top of the third and they and they haven't grabbed a tackle yet and this is too good to pass up type of thing. Um, this isn't a finished product like like Tyron Smith from USC years ago. This is that who was a top ten pick of the Cowboys. This is a guy that that needs some work. Do Do you think he's better than Chuma Doga from last year? I, I think he has higher upside. Um, oh, yeah. I, I had Chu. I, we talked about Chuma Doga on this show last year, and I I had him kind of third roundish. Um, maybe fourth round. And I, I think he went in the third round. Did he not? Yeah. Um, for the jets. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that that was more a little bit better. Chuma Adoga was a little bit more polished, but didn't mm-hmm. have the athleticism and raw ability as Jackson. Uh, Jackson has the raw ability, but I think needs some, some coaching and whatnot to go going, going forward. And, and who knows, you know, like I said, this could be a guy that teams, somebody falls in love with maybe a Pete Carroll towards the back end of the first with the Seahawks. They need offensive line help. Maybe he's like, that's a guy I want. Uh, cause he's obviously well tapped into USC or maybe he's a guy that everybody's like, this is, this is too risky, this high, we got to wait. And maybe he's there at the, at the top of the third and all of a sudden the value's there. So um, you know, I, 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 it's, it's intriguing to me where he's going to land, but, uh, he, he has the athleticism. He has the size, like I mentioned, and like Ben Solak mentioned of the draft network, quote unquote, looks the part. That's exactly the thing. What you don't know is if he, you know, looks like Tarzan plays like Jane or, or what have you type of thing. Uh, hopefully he's, he's a guy that, that with some coaching, with some grooming ends up become you know becoming a very good offensive lineman but an intriguing guy nonetheless 
So those are our two prospects this week. We'll continue our 2020 prospect watch going forward. And uh, I'll try and branch out away from the, the Pac-12 if I'm able. Uh, but well, I'm not going to branch in, so feel free to you know, <laughs> stick to your niche. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, those, are, those are our two guys this week. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed the 2020 prospect watch.